Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Things are uh, interesting time. It's sort of always the case time. Can't hire a coach? You can take a transfer time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Thursday evening as we are preparing for more winter weather, apparently, coming to the Knoxville area. be interesting. I think we got about four inches of snow or so last time, maybe a little more than that in some areas. We'll see how much we get overnight. Of course, sometimes, you know, we get none. And sometimes it's a blizzard. East Tennessee, you never really know. Not just me on this podcast, though. We'll go down to the uh, Blount County Satellite Office down there in Maryville, where this fella just told me that they might be getting uh, two to five inches of snow this evening. It's the one, the only Grant Ramey. Grant, what's up, man? That's if you can trust the Weather Channel. I don't know what what the rapport is in the weather community. Yeah, I like to mess with the local weathermen because it's just fun to do that, and most of them are. They're all really, really good people, uh, but they're fun to mess with sometimes. And, and when, when, uh, when, when their models mess up, I like to have a good time with them because, you know, uh, media never gets criticized from anyone else ever. No, so it's fun, to, it's fun to give a little media on media criticism. We got a lot to talk about in this episode. I'm not really sure the, the volume levels here on my mic. Something maybe seems a little bit off. Might have to work on that later. But uh, regardless, we are talking a lot of Tennessee football and Tennessee basketball in this episode. We're going to spend the second segment discussing Tennessee basketball, specifically after the Vols got off the mat with a big second half that led to a 79-74 win over Arkansas. It was uh, three consecutive bad halves for the ninth-ranked Vols and then one half of good basketball, or, or at least better basketball. John Fulkerson looking like himself again. Josiah Jordan-James looking like himself again. Uh, Eve Pond's doing his thing on the defensive end. Uh, some, some big free throws from Keon Johnson. Lots of good stuff to discuss there. And we will get to that in the second segment. But the reason we're doing that in the second segment and not the first segment is because there is big Tennessee football news. Uh, Ramey, there, or Grant, there, there, there have been reports out there, and, and I've not confirmed them, but uh, I have strong reason to believe they're true. Uh, that Tennessee is still in a bit of a hiring freeze right now while they're looking into some things with that in-house investigation. Uh, so uh, I don't know exactly what the future is for Jeremy Pruitt and some of the other guys on that staff. So it's not really the kind of environment where you would expect one of the biggest names in the NCAA transfer portal to pick Tennessee. Uh, but lo and behold, that happened on Thursday. Virginia Tech quarterback, former starter Hendon Hooker, a former top 247 prospect, a guy who started a lot the past two seasons for Virginia Tech, a guy who was a leader for that team, a guy who's a, a pretty good pretty good thrower and a really good runner uh, in a different offense, but still a, a guy who uh, is a dynamic player and, and a guy who now will be added to Tennessee's quarterback room. I, I got to be honest with you, Grant. I am surprised. I heard people from Tennessee for a couple weeks telling me, or for a few weeks saying, there's going to be a, a, a good transfer quarterback coming here through the portal. And I wondered, well – you know, are you just saying that to, to, to you know, assuage some concerns uh, that people have with the program? Or are you saying that because it's real? What's the deal? Uh, it turns out it's real, and uh, Hendon Hooker says he's coming to Tennessee. And it's just kind of the, I don't know, everybody's been waiting so long for some kind of piece of concrete news or, or something to kind of progress this story beyond what we know right now and what we've known since basically the end of the Texas A&M game uh, on what was it two and a half weeks ago now mm-hmm. yep. I mean you can go back we've had a podcast where we talked about like it felt like they were past the point of no return where you can't really fire a coach now and go into the coaching search and expect things to go well and not cripple your football program 
but the longer this thing drags on and there's no answers, the more it feels like what's going on here. Can they just proceed like business as usual? And once you start going into that mode, then boom, here comes Hinton Hooker announcing that he's committed to Tennessee. And while there's reports out there of hiring freezes and, and you know, Pruitt not being able to fill vacancies on his staff because of everything that's going on right now, which that makes sense to me. But then again, why are you taking a quarterback if we don't know what the future is? I mean, maybe he does. Maybe we don't know what it is. But, I mean, Tennessee had to address the quarterback position. Um, they have to address multiple spots probably through the transfer portal and try to help this roster, uh, not to mention the, the vacancies that they'll have to fill on the coaching staff. So to get a guy that's, you know, Virginia Tech, a, a kind of a dual threat guy, somebody that can affect the games with his legs, somebody that's also been listed as a pro style passer. I mean, it's a, he's a, clearly a good football player, somebody that can help your team. And you needed uh, that depth in the quarterback room, even though you're adding Caden Salter, you lose JT Shrout. Who knows what the future is with Brian Maurer? It seems like that's always a question. Yeah. Um, so to add that, add another body, add a, possibly a talented football player that can help you. Uh, it sounds like good news and, and finally some kind of news after everybody's kind of sitting around waiting. Yeah, and this is a guy who, uh, again, I, you don't see these numbers very often from a quarterback, but in two different games this past season, you know, he he had to miss the first two games with an undisclosed medical situation that they've never publicly discussed, but but you know, apparently it got cleared up enough for him to go play for Virginia Tech, so whatever it was, they they got it worked out, and then he played in eight games, started six, and in two of those six games he started, he rushed for more than 150 yards. Now, and one of them was against a, a Liberty team that's ranked in the top 25. Now, those Hugh Freeze teams aren't really known for their defense. That's not really what puts them on the map. Um, but still, he had a 53-yard run against Miami uh, back when Miami was, was ranked 10th nationally and, and before it forgot how to play defense. So this is a guy who clearly – uh, and again, I'll, I'll mention this, uh, Evan Flood, who, who's covered Virginia Tech for a long time for us at 24-7, speaks glowingly about this kid as a, you know, both as kind of a leader on and off the field, a guy who his, his teammates respect, they rally around. So, you know, they had a guy like that in Garantano. He didn't always perform well, but he was a, he, he had the character, uh, he had people in the program behind him, supporting him. And, and when you lose a player like that, it kind of creates a vacuum in that way. And you know, some people might say, well, a guy like that might make it harder for guys like, you know, Bailey and Salter to, to kind of emerge as leaders, but I don't see it that way at all. I think you add another character like this into your program. I think that's never a bad thing. No, you can't have enough good on the field, off the field additions in your football program. I mean, just like people say, you shouldn't be scared of competition on the field. I don't think you should be. Uh, I don't think it would hurt you in terms of a leadership aspect to add another guy like this wouldn't hurt you know a Harrison Baylor or Caden Salter to be able to step up in those situations and develop the leadership traits that they're going to have to develop if they want to be the quarterback at the University of Tennessee moving forward um, you, you can't have enough I don't know positive additions guys that can lead guys that can play well I mean you you, you got to build your football program around guys that you think can help you on and off the field, and especially at quarterback. I mean, that's where it's most important. And you don't want to go into a season uh, in 2021 having questions about your depth at quarterback, wondering what's going to go on there. You want to have, you know, the more bodies you have there, obviously people say you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I don't, I don't think that's really a situation that's in play here. You're talking about you need that number of bodies. You need a full quarterback room. You don't need to be short there. Uh, and if, if he's a leader off the field, if he's a really good addition to the program, then uh, that's just a, a bonus on top of it. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think sometimes you know too much is made out of what kind of offense you know do you run? You know, or are you, you know, fo football is football, and, and a lot of offenses are tailored specifically to the players that you have around you. With that said, uh, I do think that when you watch Virginia Tech's offense that that they run under Fuente, and then you you see what Tennessee has run. Uh, since Cheney's been back, it, it's like two different languages, it, it looks like. You know, there, there's just – you see a lot of the Fuente stuff was a lot of that stuff you saw with Butch Jones where they would spread it out, you know, some of those bunch formations, some of those other things that, you know, a lot of those kind of, you know, read you know read option stuff, some of that, that RPO, some quarterback counter play action stuff, just stuff that you don't really see a lot from Tennessee. But if this guy comes to Tennessee and, and if this coaching staff stays here – uh, and if he proves to be the best quarterback you have available, well, then I would imagine that you suit the you tailor the offense around what he can do. And and I think that's, you know, we know that at running back, um, 
you know, Gray's a good player. Everybody knows that, uh, assuming everything works out there and he's back as he should be. Um, but, you know, you lost Ty Chandler, a couple of those younger guys. You don't really know exactly what you got yet. Uh, so a quarterback who can give you something running the ball, I- I've said this for a long time, Grant, if I'm trying to get my program to a place where um, I can compete with the best in college football and I don't really have the sorts of rosters that they have top to bottom, one of the quickest ways to cheat code that thing is you spread the field a little bit and you run with the quarterback. Now, I've always said that there are two kinds of offenses, ones with fullbacks and then sissy offenses. Um, but And I'm mostly sort of halfway joking about that. Um, fullbacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate that. It's, it's, it's sad. But I, I will say that if you can spread the field a little bit and if you can run with the quarterback, that gives you – a lot more flexibility as an offense that gives you a lot more options when things break down on third down, especially Uh, that makes third and medium and third and short and much more difficult for a defense. And and it provides a lot of those biggest sort of uh, kind of gut punching plays in football, which is where it's third down and medium or third and long. You've stopped the play initially. And then the quarterback breaks contain gets out of the pocket runs for 10 yards, and slides or gets out of bounds and moves the sticks. That just demoralizes defenses. And Tennessee hasn't consistently really had that since Dobbs left. And if this guy can do that, it it helps things, I think. It helps things for sure. I mean, how much of that offense was predicated on Dobbs' legs and being able to create when nothing was there? I mean, not, nothing covers up more deficiencies than a quarterback that can extend a play uh, and frustrate the defense by converting those third downs that you're talking about or uh, getting a first down when it looks like the play's over um, and, and still finding a way to convert. So, And the thing is, you don't have to, you know, everything stays the same moving forward in 2021. You don't have to ask this kid to dive in head first. You can slow play him a little bit and kind of spoon feed him this offense and what he needs to know. He doesn't even have to be – obviously, he's not your starter, you would assume, from day one um, if those other quarterbacks – can play better than he can, can beat him out in an open competition. I mean, you have spring practice, you have fall camp. Maybe it's a little bit more of a normal world um, for football in 2021. And maybe if this is a guy that can just help you in certain packages, I mean, that helps you uh, that much more as an offense. It it helps you, you know, convert those third downs that you're talking about. And, and, you know, drop back faster is great. If he, if he, if he can read the field and and be a, like a Kyle Trask and, and make all the throws, but sometimes you need those legs to, to extend plays and, and to give you a little bit of creativity and, and to cover up some deficiencies. And obviously Tennessee's offense has got deficiencies when you look at the numbers the last couple of years. Yeah, a quarterback who can run is sort of like spackle, you know, that you can just right. sort of – you just spread it over there, you cover over some holes that you've got going on. It's, uh, it, it, it's a valuable thing to have and an important thing to have. And I, and I think it's something that, that Tennessee needs uh, – unless Tennessee wants to all of a sudden get a lot better up front and get a lot more dynamic running the ball with the backs. And, you know, as much as I like Gray, a guy who would, you know, go bust more 50, 60-yard runs, if you have more receivers who are going to go make those big plays consistently, um, get more guys like Hyde who can take the top off of defense. If you want to do that, then then sure. Um, But, you know, not everybody has Bama's roster. Not everybody can do that. So I I think it – it's certainly big for Tennessee. And before we go to break, I don't want to put my head in the sand about this. I, we, we've sort of, I don't want to say sidestepped it, but, but we've been honest about what we've got and what we can report. Uh, there was, was a report by a, a friend, a guy I trust a lot, a guy who's a really good reporter, Mark Schlebaugh at ESPN, uh, on Thursday, did report that, that there's a hiring freeze at Tennessee. And I want, to, I want to say this again, I cannot independently confirm that yet. No one has come out and said exactly those words to me. Uh, but there are people across the country having vacancies filled and Tennessee's not. And I know there is a sense from within Tennessee's coaching staff, a sense of unease, a sense of uncertainty. And, you know, it's entirely possible. I have no reason to disbelieve what Mark reported on Thursday. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that's probably fair to say that's what's happening. And, and there are some people who are hinting that to me, but won't come out and say it. So, um, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, this is an interesting time for for, for Tennessee. I, I think this is you, you see vacancies being filled across the country. You know, you you wonder um, what Tennessee's long game here is. You wonder if if this is some sort of a 
potentially a ploy for a buyout negotiation or or if this is Tennessee just saying, you know what, there's been some compliance issues here in the past. Let's just make sure everything's clean and then move forward. I understand where they're coming from here. Uh, but also, as I said earlier today, earlier on Thursday, I, I think that Tennessee has got to be careful to avoid putting itself in a situation here where every option on the table is bad. Because the longer you wait, um, and, and I really, really hope that Tennessee does not think short-term and, and cut off the nose to spite the face. I, I really hope it doesn't do that here. But the way things have gone for Tennessee recently, that's just the thought that keeps kicking around in my head is they're just going to find a way to make this as awkward as possible. And, you know, the decisions that if you had made earlier, um, you would have had a chance to, to have more coaching candidates out there. Uh, even if it's just for position coaches, even if that's all it is, you know, let's not, maybe it's the head coach, maybe it's not, but if, even if it's just assistant coaches, you're seeing guys across the country going from place to place. And, and the longer you wait, the more all this is going to cost you with candidates. I think it, it's just, they might be doing the right thing here, but forgive me for being a little skeptical knowing the past. I mean, the longer it goes on, the more it hurts. I mean, you, you want answers to this investigation as soon as you can possibly get answers to that investigation and i don't know what the timeline is i don't think anybody does but the longer it goes on the more it hurts you Uh, you need to be making these hires you need to have some kind of certainty about your future you need that kind of clarity i mean you can't move forward with this many unknowns i mean we were asked on the board the other day about should they put out some kind of statement what could they say at this point there's nothing really that you can say of substance that's going to move anything forward. I mean, no, you can't be, give because this thing, this thing getting public as soon as it did, made this whole process awkward. Right, and 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 it's been what's it been two and a half weeks now, going on three weeks since this uh, surfaced during that A and M game. So you have to hope the timeline is moving as quickly as possible because the longer it goes on, the more it hurts you. Whether that's if you're starting over and finding a new new coach, or whether you're turning to Jeremy Pruitt and trying to act like business as usual business is back to normal as soon as this thing's over i mean that's going to be awkward because you've sat here for the last three weeks trying to figure out what the future is and what's going on with this guy uh and buyouts and you know coaching candidates and all that stuff i mean we're almost a week past texas firing their coach and hiring steve sarkeesian five minutes later and everybody talking about how late in the calendar that happened and, and how unexpected after, it was. after they said they weren't going to make a move basically <laughs> Which is just Del Conte, though, to his credit, I think he said he's going to be the coach in 2021, and he was for about a half a day. So, yes. congrats to that. <laughs> that's, that's but I mean, it's just the longer line. this goes on, the more it hurts because you need to be adding talent from the portal. You need to be filling coaching vacancies if this is your staff moving forward. Uh, and if it's not, you need to find who's the guy. I mean, the clock's ticking on signing day in February, the clock's ticking on everything moving in the 2021 calendar. And they gotta get an answer soon. Yeah, and I I just hope that they're not slow playing this just just to to hope that things magically end up getting better. <laughs> you know, I just it's like it's almost a you know the, the there is a drama that consistently happens behind the scenes there, and I know that hey we're we're the media covering it right, so people could say we're part of the problem. I would argue that I think we've actually been pretty kind to Tennessee. I think that we're tr- we've tried to be pretty damn understanding of some of the issues that they've been through, uh, but they they are not very good at making it look like they know what they're doing. There are times where, and that, again, that's not me saying they don't know what they're doing. That's me saying they're not very good at showing people they know what they're doing. They make it look like they leave, like they walk around with a kick me sign on their back just consistently. And that's an entire mindset over there that just, you know, I, I thought Fulmer would clean some of it up and maybe he will, uh, maybe he won't, but it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of felt like more of the same uh, with, with just some of the drama that they have going around there. And you know what? Maybe if they won more football games, this wouldn't be happening. But um, you know what? We'll go win more football games then. If that's what it takes, just, you know, make it look like you know what you're doing and, and keep your things, keep your in-house things in-house, <laughs> you know, uh, keep take care of your business like adults and just, just figure things out. But um, anyways, that's just what I had to say about that. I, I didn't want to act like we were ignoring it because there's obviously – there's an elephant in the corner of the room. We're not going to not discuss it. It's there. Um, it's just in the corner. 
It's not sitting on my face. Well, it's an elephant, so if it's in the corner of the room, unless it's a really large room, it's probably also in the middle of the room. It's true. So, I'm recording this from a walk-in closet. So There you go. As true professionals we are, that's what we're right. doing right here on the Go Boss 24-7 podcast. We're going to step away, though. We're going to go to break, pay some bills, listen to product services, in-house ads, other fun things, and we will be back in just one second to talk about, hey, 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 good news. Good news. Tennessee basketball, back to being good news. Back in just a second, guys. Hashtag ad. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Thursday night. Grant Ramey coming to you from the Blount County Satellite Office of Go Vols 24-7 down in Merville, where, uh, as they are in Knoxville, just, I guess it's what, act like it's a different place in the world. It's like 10 miles away or 15 miles away. Uh, but both expecting snow this evening. Uh, hopefully we, we get a little bit, but not too much. And uh, there's much, 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 much to discuss here in the second segment of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Before we do that, though, uh, I do want to throw out a quick reminder. Please go in there, take a minute out of your day, and go in there and rate and review this podcast. Uh, hit that subscribe button, whether you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you can cast a fine pod, you can find the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. And I love watching the, these numbers grow every day, every week. It's been a really fun ride, uh, and we love doing this, and we're happy to do it free of charge. But the one thing that we will ask is that you go in there and subscribe and rate and review this podcast and if you go on there and leave a comment uh, you tell us something that you like tell us something you'd like to see us do better tell us something you want to hear us talk about later on in the future all kinds of fun things that we can do uh, and if you will go do those things you will help us do that so please do that and uh, I'm going to keep mentioning it every podcast and uh, you're probably not going to like hearing it but it is important and that's why I say it Grant Tennessee basketball uh, was ranked seventh nationally going into last weekend uh, people were talking about was this team right there with Gonzaga and Baylor uh, as one of the elite teams or in the top class of college basketball teams. I said it. I'm not lying about it. I said going into the season, I think this should be the SEC favorite. I said I think this team will win the league. I think this is, could be one of the best teams in college basketball. Uh, so I was sitting there hooting and hollering about it and saying, listen, I told you all, blah, blah, blah. Then Tennessee promptly goes out there and face plants against Alabama. In fairness, Alabama played really well, has played really well going into that game, has played really well since that game. But Tennessee sort of face planted a little bit against Alabama, lost a game to the Tide, uh, and then went and hosted an, a dangerous Arkansas team Wednesday night at Thompson Bowling Arena and did not play great in the first half, uh, didn't play terribly, but, but didn't really play great either. We're trailing 40-33 to 33 at halftime. John Fulkerson had, again, not been much of a factor. Uh, open shots being missed all over the court. And I didn't, as I wrote my column, Grant, I didn't think it was kind of a season on a brink moment, but but it was an important moment. It, it was an important moment for this team to show, you know, is this team, what kind of team is this? Is this a team that's going to sit there and take this, or is this the kind of team that's going to, you know, be able to sort of make this adjustment in game, get things squared up, and go play ball like they should? And I think in the second half, for, for the most part, they did. Uh, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Grant, because I thought – Arkansas played, turned the ball over a lot, but Arkansas made more shots than anybody's made against Tennessee this season in half-court defense. They made some really, really tough shots, especially in the second half. They never went away, even when Tennessee rallied back to take the lead quickly in the second half. But Tennessee did what it should do. It took care of business. 
it worked through Fulkerson. It worked inside out. Josiah Jordan James did his job. Eve Pons on defense did his job. The freshmen made some nice plays. They made some clutch free throws, and they won the game. So I'm interested to hear what you thought sort of about leading into that game and, and, and that game overall and its importance. I mean, Arkansas is tough. I think Arkansas is a good basketball team. Uh, I think Eric Musselman is a good coach. Yeah. I think they're going to win a lot of games, and I think he'll win a lot of games uh, however long he's there. Tennessee had to answer some adversity because they didn't do that against Alabama. And, and what was kind of the biggest thing against Alabama was where's John Fulkerson? You need John Fulkerson to be the guy he was during that stretch run in the SEC last year. Um, he can't disappear. He can't be off the floor in crunch time because he's not playing well. And and they were down seven at the half, and Arkansas shot 57% in the first half. They scored 40 points. Tennessee's more accustomed to giving up 60 points an entire game, uh, averaging, I think, 55 points a game given up going into that Arkansas game. So, it, obviously, at halftime, it looks bad. It had been a bad game and a half of basketball for a Tennessee team that I think they deserved the praise they got through the first seven games because they – had been pretty dominant at times. Obviously, the schedule wasn't all that tough, but you beat a good Colorado team. You went to Missouri and beat a pretty good Missouri team handedly. Um, and then things kind of fell apart against Alabama, and, and they got exposed a little bit, and, and you kind of saw the warts there, and it looked like it was going to happen again against Arkansas. And they found answers. They answered the bell in the second half, they, and it started early because they started forcing the issue with John Fulkerson and going up against seven foot three Connor Vanover and trying to figure out ways to shoot over him. Which who who is impossible. who is comically long. Yeah, he looks like a stick figure. Like I think he's listed at two forty seven. He looks like a stick figure. It looks, is incredible. Looks like one forty seven. Yeah. But I mean you 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 forced the issue with Fulkerson. Not only did he produce, he scored nine of your first eleven in the second half. I think he started four or five from the field. Um he created for others. He had three assists in the second half. He rebounded. I think he had five of his eight rebounds in the second half, 12 of his 16 points. So when you needed answers, you went to the guy that everybody was screaming, he's got to be the guy that gives you those answers. So I think it was really good for them to be in that spot and to figure it out because, like we talked about after the Alabama game, this team right now can't shoot consistently well enough out of a seven, eight-point hole, ten-point hole, whatever the deficit is. They're going to have to be a team that plays from ahead like they got out to those fast starts early in the season because they just can't consistently shoot it right now. I think they were 10 of 21 on shots that were classified as layups in the, uh, in the game, the game stats, the official game stats, which is insane. Yeah. And there was a couple of those that Jaden Springer's not really completely healthy on that ankle. And I think no, he normally did not look makes, like he trusted his jumping ability. Yeah. And he's normally one of the, 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 the best tough two makers on the team, but you know, I, I, I think this is something that that's, you know, it's hard to classify this. It's hard to put a kind of a figure on this grant, but it just seemed to me like I don't think it's a coincidence that as soon as Fulkerson got going inside, those shots started falling outside. I think that gets everybody in rhythm because that sets up, you've got him kicking out for some open threes. And again, they missed a lot of good looks in the first half other than maybe one Keon Johnson tough two look for, for, that I didn't like in the first half. I didn't, I didn't dislike the shot selection. Uh, they, they just didn't make the shots. Um, but I don't know that it's a coincidence that as soon as John Fulkerson started getting going and looking like himself on the inside, all of a sudden, boom, you see Bailey hit one. You see Springer hit one. You see Josiah Jordan-James hit one. I don't know if that's a coincidence. I, I think that, that he's a guy who really just is kind of a catalyst for this team. Yeah, and, I mean, I think shots started falling in the second half because they started playing the way they want to play. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's a different way to put it, yeah. Getting the ball inside and, and then kicking out to the three-point line or, or getting the ball to Fulkerson and creating him creating either something for himself uh, or something for his teammates. But, I mean, yeah, they're, they're going to have to shoot the ball better. They're going to have to be better shot makers consistently because they're going to go up against teams that can get to the rim. They're going to go up against teams that can shoot over them. I mean, this defense can be elite, but at times, I mean, early on against Arkansas, they couldn't keep anybody in front of them. Arkansas was driving to the rim at will, uh, and Tennessee was missing shots around the rim. On the other end, missing jump shots, missing threes. It felt like they hadn't made a huge three in forever, one of those opportunities where a three puts you ahead and, and gives you all the momentum, and just feels like you have to make that shot in that moment. Uh, it feels like it felt like it had been a couple, three weeks since that had happened. Like they finally got one in the second half. I believe it was Jaden Springer in the corner, or maybe it was uh, Victor Bailey. I can't remember, but to have those shots start falling, I think that gives them a little bit 
more confidence and, and being able to find those answers in the second half against a pretty tough Arkansas team uh, and to spin it forward. I mean, you're going up, you're going to Texas A&M Saturday to face an A&M team that lost by 24 to South Carolina Wednesday night, a very, very average, it appears, yeah. South Carolina team. Um, so you, you have a chance to build on that. And then you go to South Carolina next week, uh, another road game. And, and that's obviously a game that you think you should win or it's a winnable game. They need to get back to, finding that confidence and the way they're playing, you know, like they did against Missouri and kind of on that edge and suffocating defensively and efficient offensively. Um, and I think the second half probably helped them take a step toward that direction. Yeah, and I think there were moments in that Bama game that I, I don't want to say – I don't think they were flukish because Bama is good, but, but Bama down the stretch just made some big-time plays that I don't know that that team will consistently make on a nightly basis. And then Arkansas in the second half of that game, uh, when the game got up, when they got that, that lead up to five, all of a sudden they had all the momentum. It looked like, okay, here comes the hammer. And then Arkansas just drops uh, an incredible four-point play. Uh, I mean, Note just made an unbelievable – I mean, I, I'm sure some of that's luck, but still, like that – that was just a crazy, crazy shot, four-point play. That swings things back. And, and Arkansas, in the last two or three minutes, can you know consistently just made shots to get right back in the game. And some of them were really, really tough shots. And you start to wonder, man, Tennessee's just not getting a lot of breaks. They're going to have to really, really earn this. Now, they did finally get a break there in the final minute because they, they had a horrible, horrible switch uh, on a screen uh, where should have gone over, I think went under. And, and just left a wide-open three-pointer. Uh, deep three, but still a wide-open three-pointer that could have tied the game. Um, it, it just, you know, just, just some mistakes that they made in the final minute, but they got away with them. Um, but I, I think overall the important thing for me was that Fulkerson started playing like the way he can play again. Uh, and I think it's important that, that Keon Johnson made some big free throws down the stretch because if he wants to stay on the, the court in close games, he's got to make those. You want his defense out there. Um, you want his playmaking out there, but if you can't make free throws, you don't have him in there. I mean, that's the argument for always keeping Viscovi in the game late, no matter what's going on, because he will – I mean, he's something ridiculous, like 25 of 26 in his career in free throws in the final few minutes of a game. I mean, he's just unbe- unbelievable in those situations. So you'd like to have that option, but he needs to he needs to go out there and do his job. What I'm wondering here, Grant, before we talk about Ann really quickly, is I want to ask about, about Fulkerson – is he just a guy and, and I know I'm going Kingsport on Kingsport here, so if you want to really understand the mindset of a Kingsport man, you gotta go right to the heart of another Kingsport man. Straight to the chemicals. You just gotta go right right to that right to that Eastman Kodak chemical stuff right there. It makes the town smell lovely. Grant, when when you so you know Fulkerson about as well as any of us do, obviously. I mean I know him, but but you you know him really, really well, I think. And and what is he just a guy who sometimes just periodically you have to get into him for him to really get going? Like, because he's such a laid-back guy, do you just sometimes have to sit there and, and kind of grab him by the collar to, to get him to realize who he is? I don't think it's sometimes. I think it's all the time. I think it's a, an every-game thing. You're going to have to look at him dead in the eye and say, take over. You, you can control this game. You're one of the best players on the floor. He doesn't have to be the best player on the floor for Tennessee consistently, but he can be the guy that you get the ball to and, and he creates something for himself or he creates something for his teammates. He's just got to force the issue. I think he does have a tendency, especially with the talent around him at this point, you know, where was he so good last year? It's because they didn't have any other options. Jordan Bowden couldn't hit a shot. They didn't have a ton of consistent play from Santi or, or Josiah. You didn't really know what you're going to get night in and night out there. Eve Ponds. He came on strong towards the end of the year, but it was still a little bit more of a wild card. It was a breakout year for him, but you didn't really know what to expect every single night. But the way Fulkerson was creating in those games, you kind of knew what you were going to get. I mean, he was scoring 17, 18, 20, 22, 25, uh, almost like Grant Williams a couple of years ago. You knew what you were going to get from him every night because he was going to force the issue because there was nobody else to do it. I think you still have to get in his face and say, you're the guy that can take over this game. You're the guy that can create so much opportunities for your teammates. I think he wants his teammates to produce. I think that's part of the reason why he's a little bit passive. Um, But it's something that you're going to have to drill into his head. I mean, I think you're going to get what you saw from Josiah. You're probably going to get that a lot of nights where he fills up the stat sheet and does a ton of stuff for this team. There's With Fulkerson, he can take over more than that, but you're going to have to 
tell him every single night, and you're going to have to tell those young guards. That's what they told him at halftime. They didn't go after Fulkerson at halftime. They went after the young guards and said, you got to get this guy touches. You don't need to have more shot attempts than he does. He needs to get the ball, create for himself, and create for others, and go from there. And I think that's what you've got to force the issue, not only with him, but with the rest of the Cincy team. That That's the way they want to play. They want to play inside out. Yeah, Fulkerson kind of reminds me, it, it, it's a different – it's a different mentality or, or a different different situation, but sort of the same mentality. I remember when, when Dan Williams was the, the, a defensive tackle at Tennessee and was just an, an incredible player when he was dialed in and in shape, uh, an all-SEC, all-American caliber player, first-round draft pick, a, a guy who uh, could just really dominate a game. But every time that Tennessee took a couple weeks off, whether it was, you know, coming back from summer break especially or, or even over, you know, winter workouts, you know, that, that little break you have after the bowl game. Every time you took your eyes off of Big Dan, he became really Big Dan. And he would show up like 20 pounds overweight, and he would tell you all the time, I love that Wendy's value menu, and I go – he's like, I go ham on that stuff. Uh, and I, I'm bad about it, but I do it. And, and Fulkerson, it's almost mentally sort of the same thing. It's like – you just have to remind him, listen, you are unselfish, and, and that's why your teammates love you, um, but you, you got to be a little more selfish. You know, you, you can get that shot over that seven foot three guy with the seven foot six wingspan. You got that high release jumper. You can, you know, you've got those kind of, you know, Kevin McHale looking ridiculous post moves that you do sometimes where you're just kind of meandering through there. You, you know what you're doing. You just have to go do it. And, and I'm not saying that that he's the best player on that team because when you look at pro scouts and NBA futures and everything, he, he he's not, but with what they do, his role in that is so important. And it's on the defensive end too, the way he attacks ball screens, the way he extends things, you just have to, he's just a laid back guy. And sometimes you got to be like, Hey man, you know, you don't have to necessarily always be the alpha because Josiah Jordan James has some of those men has some of that in him where he can kind of do that. Um, but you're the catalyst on the floor sometimes. You're the guy who gets everybody going. And I think it's really, really important, and I think it's, it's good for Tennessee that he's doing that, and whatever they got to do to keep him angry, to keep him focused, to keep him motivated, they just got to do it. I mean, it goes back to that tournament in Destin last year in November. Um, Fulkerson, I think, scored 17 or 18 against VCU. They won that game late. Uh, Lamonte Turner hit a buzzer beater to win it. Yep. That was like the first kind of breakout game for Fulkerson since he was a freshman, basically since before the, the elbow and wrist injuries. And, and he had a post-game press conference where it was him and Rick Barnes talking at the same time. And Fulky was like, I know my role on this team. And Rick looked at him and said, no, you don't. You don't know your role in this team. because <laughs> It was mid-presser, too. It was so Right. Fun. And they had this back and forth, like, yes, I do know my role. No, you don't, because you need this many touches. You need this many shot attempts. You should be scoring – 17, 18 points a night because that's what you can do and that's what this team needs you to do. And that's what we were discussing after the Arkansas game, uh, after the postgame stuff wrapped up. It felt like that again where it's like, do you really know your role in this team? Do you know that you're going to have to get this many touches? Do you know you're going to have to get this many shot attempts? You're going to have to set up your teammates this amount. I mean, you're going to have to force the ball inside to either you or Eve uh, and work out from there. I mean, that's what it feels like it's back to. And, And if it took a couple games in SEC play to realize that, to force that, then this team will be better off for it because uh, when you do realize that, you're so much of a better player. And and what kind of got ignored Wednesday night, the crazy thing, he went up for that dunk yeah. during a dead ball. It was just landed, stupid. God, it was just stupid. What are you doing? Landed awkwardly, and like my jaw dropped. I'm like, did he really just do something to his knee? Did he just tear an ACL or something? Dead ball dunk, and he got up, and he kind of acted like he was okay. Then he started limping, and he checked himself out, and was like, oh, what is going on here? And the longer he was on the bench, he was looked like the limp was getting worse, and the pain in his face was getting worse. And they call a timeout, and he goes back to the tunnel, limps back to the tunnel, and it's you're not expecting to see him again. And then 15 seconds later, somebody on the Tennessee bench gives a thumbs up, and he just comes jogging out like nothing's wrong. Like he went back there and was it Willis took the Reed? knee off and Willis, plugged another one in. Did, did he Willis read it? Uh, yeah, that was his Willis Fulkerson moment. Yeah, and I think we do need to mention that before we talk about him really quickly, is that he, he is a guy who 
he came into the season with a tight back and something that's been bothering him, and he's clearly got an issue with that thumb. I think Barnes kept calling it his left thumb, but it's his right yeah, thumb, I'm pretty sure. Was, he said left like three times. Rick is so bad about identifying parts of the body that are injured and which side they're on. I know that he – it's not that he's intentionally doing it. He just – you know, last year he called Josiah Jordan-James injury like eight different things at different times of the season. When, when he said, you know what, just say it's somewhere in the middle of the body, Rick. Let's just let's just go with that. Um, but it's it's his right thumb, and it's heavily taped up. It's bothering him when he catches a pass a certain way, when he does certain things. Uh, it, it, it clearly bothers him, and Barnes said it's going to bother him for a while. Now he's got that knee that apparently is sore and magically repaired by some some sort of David Copperfield stuff in the tunnel. And, and you know, it's like – but but the point is, like, we're laughing about it because it's funny, but he is a tough dude. He's playing through two or three different things right now, and he refuses to admit any of them are bothering him when pretty clearly they are. He's, uh, he's O.J. Simpson in Naked Gun on the boat when he's <laughs> – he gets his uh, he gets his fingers shut in the window pane. He he rolls up against a wet uh, paint wet paint on a wall. He um, what else does he do? He gets burned on something, uh, a hot iron. He ends up going over the ship. Um, he he's basically O.J. Simpson in that full body cast uh, in the hospital bed at this point. And then in, in the most classic Fulkerson moment possibly ever, he wants to talk about something unrelated to basketball, and he brings up the show Designated Survivor. On a day when the U.S. Capitol had been sort of uh, taken over, and when he said that, I went, "Oh no, oh no!" And I, I know he had no idea. He was not thinking of those two things at the same time. There's just maybe no he, way he was. Maybe he's just very topical. <laughs> but uh, that was, that was, uh, that was interesting. Talking about his haircut, asking if it was a branding issue, if he could mention where he gets his haircut. Uh, lots of interesting things with him. And, uh, you know, I'll say this much. Whenever he's done playing basketball at Tennessee, he will be a fantastic guest on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. If you can just get him and be like, all right, dude, let's just let's just go. You, whatever you need to say now, just say it. Just don't expect to keep the train on the tracks. Yeah, that's the ADD's bad. It'll be some crooked tracks. It's Arian Foster-like with the ADD. It's 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 rough. Grant, you talked a little bit about this before we step out of here with A&M. It's a team that um, – you know, Buzz Williams is kind of a national media darling. He just is. Like, uh, you know, people love Buzz Williams. Um, and, and in fairness, he's a pretty solid basketball coach who, who does some good things um, But the, and is paid pretty well at A&M. Uh, this is not a great A&M team. Uh, you know, it's a team that's 6-3 and three overall, 1-2 and two in league play. Uh, you know, it, it, some of these losses on here lost TCU by, by 18, um, you know, lost to LSU by 23, Lost to uh, South Carolina by 24. Um, but the last time they were at home, they beat a, an erratic but sometimes pretty good Auburn team, 68-66 to 66 at home. So, I mean, you can't ever really count them out. But, you know, this is a game where you would expect Tennessee, especially in an arena that's going to be, what, 20% full or something on the road. Right. You know, 2 p.m. start on a Saturday. You would imagine Tennessee goes down to College Station and takes care of business. You, you would imagine. Um, that's what I kind of thought with the Alabama game uh, a few days ago, too, and that didn't happen. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the scores. Um, I was surprised to see them lose by 24 to South Carolina, given what this South Carolina team is, the losses that it already has um, on its record. This, that Auburn team, I don't know if anybody can figure them out. Uh, this, this A&M team beat Tarleton by seven in early December. I think they were down in that game uh, at halftime uh, at TCU. The scores you mentioned – uh, LSU beat them like they did. This is a team that Tennessee should use as a confidence booster to get out to a fast start, to get back to what they can do defensively, to get back to a certain amount of efficiency on the offensive end, um, a certain amount of shot making uh, on a consistent basis. Um, that, that's what you got to do. I mean, you you found an answer in the second half at Arkansas. It's not going to mean a whole lot if you come out to Texas A&M and fall on your face at two o'clock on a Saturday. You need to kind of start building a little bit more momentum with AM with the South Carolinas. You know, no disrespect, but it's almost kind of a little bit of a break in your SEC schedule and games you should win and take care of business and kind of build momentum towards the Floridas and the Kentuckys. And, uh, I mean, you got a home game of Kansas coming up here in a, in, in a few weeks uh, at the end of the month. So there's bigger, bigger games on the schedule moving forward. Now you need to start building that momentum going towards those. It's interesting, though, because Tennessee's first three SEC games, I think, came against teams that are pretty solidly in the top half of the league, for sure. So, you know, they've, they, they've already played some some tough opponents. And, and A&M's a team that 
you know, you look at defensively, pretty solid, maybe not elite, but certainly solid. I think ranked ranked around 50 or so nationally in, in defensive efficiency, uh, but 162 overall in offense. Not a team that uh, not a team that looks likely to do a lot of damage against Tennessee's ridiculous defense. But I mean, you know, hey, it's it's basketball. It's a weird game. Sometimes teams just catch lightning in a bottle from three. You never know. Um, but if you're Tennessee and you're doing your job on offense you should be able to overcome that. It's like what Barnes said about Alabama. It wasn't those those five three-pointers in a row certainly hurt, um, but if Alabama makes ten or whatever three-pointers, that's okay as long as Alabama's also not getting to the line a lot, as long as it's not getting a lot of layups, and those things were still happening in that game too. So when you start putting all those things together, then the math gets a little bit difficult. But I think it's it's good for Tennessee. I think it was an important game, an important 20 minutes. I think we'll look back at the end of the season and and see that that second half against Arkansas was was pretty important. So it's there's some still some concerns there. I mean, Vescovi did not have a great night until he hit those two free throws late. Um, you know, I thought it was important. We need to mention this, Grant, that, that Bailey, his first game off the bench, he, he goes out there unfazed and drops 17 points. Um, again, Tennessee really has seven or eight starters, so it's not it's not a huge deal. Um, but, you know, Bailey could have taken that the wrong way, and he very clearly didn't. He came out and was kind of throwing flames off the bench, which is what you would like a guy. If you're a guard coming off the bench, you want to be either really, really good defensively or really, really good offensively. And, um, again, Bailey has not been the defender that we thought he would be. Uh, not that Rick Barnes thinks he can be, um, but he can go out there and, and – and, and put up points in a hurry offensively. He's a guy who is aggressive, and I, I like that kind of guy coming off the bench. I think Keon Johnson with his defense as a starter and Bailey off the bench with his offense, I, I kind of like that. I think that was a good move. And, and I think when Jaden Springer's fully healthy, when he's got normal prep, I think he he might get a start too. I think they might go with Jaden and Keon in that starting five and kind of mix up that guard rotation. And, and you have Victor, interesting to see, interested to see what he looks like Saturday against A&M because he kind of got called out. Um, after the Arkansas game, a couple defensive lapses. He didn't play down the stretch. That's why Keon was on the floor. That's why Keon was ending up at the free throw line a lot in the last couple of minutes because he was there kind of in that crunch time situation, and, and Victor wasn't because he wasn't playing defense well enough, and, and that's what Rick said. I mean, you can score 10 or 12, but it doesn't matter if you give up 14 or 15 or whatever. You're obviously not helping your team uh, if that's the ratio. So uh, it's good that he keeps scoring, and, and he, he didn't kind of – hesitate coming off the bench like you said but at the same time got to get better defensively uh, defensively if he's going to play in those big time situations yeah if you don't want to be a really good defender and you want to play for rick barnes you better be kevin durant <laughs> you know right. you better be you better be so ridiculous offensively that it doesn't matter uh, but grant good talk man good to talk a little football and basketball it's good to uh to get some of this out there i know that's uh you know there's not a tremendous amount of good news it seems like with tennessee these days but uh hey got a couple of Good pieces of news right there. Talked about a big win in basketball again, getting back on track. Talked about adding one of the biggest quarterbacks in the portal uh, in the into the football class, despite all the upheaval and all the questions going on there. So it, it could be worse, I guess. Always. You know I'm a half-cup empty guy. No, cup full, sorry. Cup full, right? Cup full. Cup on for Tennessee? Is that what's funny? Cup o- no, cup overflowing. That, that's just my personality. Or- Sunshine, rainbows. All that stuff. Or, or as my brother from a darker mother, Jason Swain, says pretty consistently, uh, put your cup on for Tennessee. You never, you never know, right? You never cup know. Cup check. Cup check. Uh, Grant, I don't know why I always ask this, but you got anything else? I got nothing. <laughs> Thanks, man. And you know what? Thank you all out there for listening. We appreciate it. We always do. We always say it, but we always mean it. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. If you just want Tennessee news, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7. Always tons and tons of stuff on there that's updated throughout the day, as is the Twitter feed. But if you want just the very, very best the most, the most unfiltered, delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water just right from the tap. Go get that at GoBalls247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to talk Tennessee football, Tennessee football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, uh, Lady Vols sports, where Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us. Got a couple forums that are open 24-7. As the name suggests, you can go to, uh, for men's sports and off-topic discussion, you can go to 
the checkerboard. And for women's sports and off-topic discussion, you can go to the summit. All kinds of good stuff on all those on both those boards all day long. And you get all of that for the low, low price of less than one mediocre lunch per month. I cannot say that any clearer than that. I can't say it any clearer than that. Less than one mediocre lunch per month. And if you already pay us full price, which as I just described is ridiculously low, if you do that, you get access in perpetuity to CBS All Access, which is CBS's streaming platform. That's a $100 plus annual value for free that we will give you as long as you are a member with us, a full paying member. And that's access to every CBS show ever made, commercial free, new movies every single month. You get uh, live sports, live Tennessee sports, live SEC sports. So you got college football, college basketball, March Madness, NCAA tournament, uh, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, NFL. The freaking Shield is on there. The NFL. Also, also some World Series of Poker stuff, some exclusive podcast stuff, all kinds of great stuff. That's one hundred plus dollars annual value in your pocket, no questions asked. It's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty pretty darn good deal. And I think uh, if there's nothing else, you should hear from us maybe sometime over the weekend. We'll see about that. Got the basketball game Saturday afternoon. Of course, it's Tennessee, so you never know. There could always be some, uh, always be some breaking news. Before then, you never really know. But uh, if that happens, we will be right here on this feed bringing it to you. So until then, wash your freaking hands, wear your freaking masks, be freaking nice to each other. We're so close, guys. Come on. We can do this. We're in it together. We can do this. See you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.